Amen. Uh, for those of you who may not know, we are continuing a sermon series in the book of um, Luke. And so um, last week, Happy shared out a wonderful message in Luke chapter 11. I'm going to be circling back a little bit going to Luke chapter, chapter 9 today. Uh, for those of you that are new, just want to let you know we love our Bible. We, want, we love it. We want to preach from these verses, and we want to preach uh, what the Word of God has to say. And so this morning, we're going to continue that series in the book of Luke. And today, the, the title of my message is called uh, Walking the Straight Line. Walking the Straight Line. And so I want to begin by asking us a question. And the question is, what is your greatest ambition? What is your greatest ambition? As you think about your life, what is it uh, that you use as a compass to evaluate in your mind, am I headed in the right direction? What is your greatest aspiration? What is, what is the thing, the, the proverbial North Star right, that you have as the, as the thing that you are running after in your life. Uh, some people, they walk through life without any direction at all. Right? They walk through life, and they're just like, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just like, you know, I'm just going there. I'm just going over here. When I get there, I'll tell you if I got there or not. Right? Some people walk like that. A few, a few years ago, my wife and I, we were lazy, and so we got, what is that thing called, a, a, a Roomba. A Roomba vacuum. You guys remember that? Is that? Am I pronouncing that right? A, a Roomba vacuum. We got that. And so my wife's not lazy. She, she's a clean freak, but I am lazy vacuuming. And so we got this thing. And it's interesting because you turn this thing on and uh, it just goes in one direction until it senses something. It hits a wall and then it goes into another direction until it hits a wall and it goes into another direction. And what's interesting about that is that... Some of us, that is our life. Some people live their lives just like that. And we just go, you know what? I hit something. Well, I, I guess I wasn't supposed to go there. And then I go this way, and I, and I hit this. We're like, well, I guess, I, I guess I wasn't supposed to go there. We go in one direction after another direction until our batteries run out. And we say, I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. Other people... Do you have the proverbial North Star, uh, which is, you know, misguiding them, though, which is uh, the wrong direction for them? And maybe you are here today, and some of it is just uh, achieving influence, achieving affluence. Uh, it's all about being respected. It's all about being noticed. For some of us, it's, you know what, the, our whole goal in life is to just fly under the radar. And uh, we never want to get noticed, and that's fine with us. Like, that's our North Star. That's okay. So what, whatever it is, I want to ask you today, what is it for you? What is it for you? What is your proverbial North Star? What is the orienting principle that is guiding your entire life, every decision that you make? And church, as we... Uh, look at chapter 9 of the Gospel of uh, Luke uh, this morning, I really want to press this in, right? And I really want us to kind of just really dive into this because it is very easy to be directionless. It is very easy to be misguided 
in our lives. But I, what I want for us as a church is to be a church that is single-mindedly following Jesus. We are following Jesus with a sense of urgency. We are following Jesus with a sense of priority in our life. Right? That Jesus Christ, that his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection is a mission for our lives. And that would be so paramount about everything, everything that we do in our lives. And so the big idea for us this morning, the big idea for us this morning is this. Because Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, we can confidently set our face toward him. And so I want to work with that phrase for a second, that phrase that we read, um, set his face, set his face. So we're going to see uh, two times uh, mentioned in the, in the first two verses uh, this morning, as Sister Glorabelle read that for us. Um, and I think that's, that in our context, when we look at that, we can really miss uh, uh, the gravity of that statement there. That phrase right there, setting your face towards something, that phrase is a Hebrew idiom, and it means a single-minded di- di- determination to accomplish a task. That's what it means. It means to, it, it means to go straight at something, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just go straight, get to your destination, right? Go straight at it. And so as we look at our text this morning, I want to just look at two straight lines this morning. Number one, I want to see the, the, the single-mindedness of Jesus to go toward Jerusalem and to go toward the cross. The single-mindedness of Jesus. When, when he uh, came, Jesus, he, he knew his mission. He knew why he came. He knew why he came. He, he came to accomplish one thing. His ultimate destination was the cross. And Jesus Christ made a straight line. And so we're also going to take a look at Jesus extending this invitation to us. And basically, Jesus is saying, hey, hey friends, um, you, are, you are directionless, so let me give you directions. And we're going to see the, the urgent call to discipleship this morning. Wholehearted discipleship toward Jesus Christ. That, that, we, would be, that we would have no other priorities, that he would be our number one. That following the lordship of Jesus Christ would be the orienting principle in our life this morning. And church, I want this to be true of all of us, right? I want this to be true of us. That we're going to see in this text today, and we're really going to press in this morning. But before we get into our verses, let me give you a little bit of a context of of verse 9. I mean, chapter 9 here. Uh, Chapter 9 is a hinge passage. It's a hinge passage. Hinge chapter of the book of Luke. Okay, so uh, from the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see up from, from chapter 1 up until now, Luke's main priority is basically communicating who is Jesus, right? That's what he's communicating here. Who is this guy, Jesus? Who is he? And so we start off with the birth account, the miraculous birth account of Jesus Christ, and we see Dr. Luke, he is highlighting Jesus' identity at his baptism where heavens uh, open up as he comes out of the water, and his father from heaven speaks down, and he says, this is my son. Who is he? 
with him, the son of God, with him, I am well pleased. We see Jesus uh, in the wilderness overcoming the devil and temptation. We see Jesus reaching out to sinners. We see Jesus forgiving sin. We see him uh, challenging this, the status quo of the religious institution. We see Jesus healing the sick. We see Jesus raising the dead. We see Jesus doing all these things. And everything Luke has been doing has been answering the question, who is this man? Who is he? Who is this man? And, and, and he's painting a picture of who this is, and all of it comes to a culmination in verse 20, when, he's, when he asks Peter the most important question that we could ever ask ourselves, the most important question that we could ever ask in our life, and the question is this, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? Peter answers in verse 20, he says, uh, you are the Christ, right? The, the Christ of God. That word Christ, it means uh, the, the anointed one. Right? It means the one, the, the chosen one, the, the one that all of the rest of the pages of the scriptures point to, the one. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed one, the appointed one. He is the one that came to save. And Peter nails it right here. Nails it. I mean, most of the time, Peter gets a lot of things wrong. But in this instant, this dude gets it right. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has come and to save. Now we're going to see a shift, though, in Peter's tone. I mean, in, in Luke's tone. We're going to see a shift here. Uh, now that we've established who he is, we're going to take a look at the mission of what he has come to accomplish. And so if, if his identity is Savior, well, then how is he going to save, right? What is his mission? As he marches towards Jerusalem, like, what is he going to do? Is he going to set up a political institution? Is he going to do that? Is he, you know, going to go and build a mega church and get a, he get a helicopter and get a perm? Um, I don't know why I said that, but is he going to do that? Is he going to start a nonprofit organization in the city, right? Is that how Jesus is going to save? We know who he is, but what is his mission? And it says, he, he says he, he, he sets his face towards Jerusalem. He sets his face toward the cross. And we're going to see the, the turning point in the text where we see Jesus marching towards Jerusalem. We see Jesus marching towards the cross, where he would save by being captured, where he would give his life by his death. And we're going to see Jesus make a straight line for the cross. And so in, in our text, uh, we are going to also dive into three characters, three guys at the end of our chapter in uh, the last six verses. Um, and we're going to meet these three would-be followers of Jesus, where Jesus extends his invitation, right? And Jesus extends it. I'm headed toward Jerusalem for you, so would you follow me? Would you surrender everything in your life, and would you follow me? Would you come after me? 
And we're going to see all of these three guys, these three would-be followers of Jesus say, yes, I will follow you, but not as first importance though. Jesus, you know what? I'm going to squeeze you into my schedule. I'll do that. I have, I have a straight line that I'm pursuing right now. I'll fit you in somewhere in there, Jesus. I'll do that. You know, I'll, I'm going to welcome religiosity. I'll, I'll do that, Jesus. When I get time, it's welcome some good religious feel-good sentiment into my life, but I just can't quite make you my priority right now in my life. And so meeting these three guys that we're going to meet in a moment, I think what we are going to see is we are going to see a mirror into our own hearts as well. And so as we look at Jesus, uh, the straight line of Jesus to the cross, I also want to take a look at these three guys, these three um, individuals, and ask this question. The question is, Jesus, how do I calibrate the, 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 the true north in my life, in the compass of my life? Where am I headed? Jesus, are you my priority? Or, Jesus, are you second place, third place, secondary, tertiary in my life at the moment. And so let's get into our verses this morning. We're going to read that again. But before we get into the us part, I want to get into the, the Jesus part. So uh, let's look at the picture that we see in this text here. Chapter 9, and we are going to start off in verse 51. And um, it's going to read that one more time again. It, it says this, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, referring to Jesus' crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension there. Taken up, right, where that's where he's headed, okay? He, he set his face. That, that, there's a phrase right there. He's going to Jerusalem, and that's the hinge. He's journeying now. Verse 52, it says this. And he set messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was toward Jerusalem. Right, there it is again. Verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to send fire down from heaven and consume them? Good question, right? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them. Verse 56. And they went on to another village. That's a pretty fun text right there. That's a lot there. Uh, but let me just say, let me just say this. I, I really want to just hone into uh, this uh, phrase that he set his face toward Jerusalem. We've already uh, talked about what that means. It means a straight line. It just means uh, headed toward a uh, mission. But what does it mean to set his face to Jerusalem? What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, it means, uh, it means literally, literally, it is, he is geographically orienting himself to get to the city of Jerusalem. That's what he's doing, right? He's saying, he's saying, I got to get there. I am going straight there. And so Jesus, in the, you know, uh, beginning the same annual journey that Jesus has been making ever since he was born, making the same journey, this is the Passover pilgrimage, um, 
uh, he is he grew up as a Jewish man in Galilee in the northern part of Israel. And so every year, what would happen in the, in the springtime before Passover, they would uh, travel down uh, around to this area of Samaria. Can you guys see Samaria? Samaria into Judea, into the capital city of Jerusalem. So when it says that he set his face toward Jerusalem, he's beginning his journey that he is making, the same journey that he's been making ever since he was a little boy, making the same journey, going to Jerusalem. And so they would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That's what they're doing. And Passover was the celebration that the people of God, they would celebrate uh, to remember that God had delivered them out of slavery in the hands of the Egyptians for 400 years. They had been enslaved. And so what they're doing is they are celebrating and they're saying, our God delivers, our God saves, our God sets us free. And so it would be at the temple at Passover and they would sacrifice an animal. And then they would, uh, it would represent the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus has done this every single year for his entire life. He's doing this. And so in our text uh, right now, it is springtime. And Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Jesus has his entourage with him, right? And they're all headed to Jerusalem. It is Passover celebration. And so in verse 52, it says this. It said, he sent messengers ahead of him into a village in Samaria. Okay, very practically, what that means is that Jesus has followers, right? Jesus has his 12 disciples. He also has 72 disciples and followers as well. And additionally, there are, like, there are many people that are with Jesus as well. I'm guessing probably around like 100 people that are here in this group traveling together. And he's going there in this region in these small uh, towns. And he sends these messengers ahead of them to um, let them know that they are coming. And so in verse 53, it says this. It says, because Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem, they did not receive them. In other words, these people are like, no. Uh, Jesus, what, this guy's coming here? No, I don't think so. We are not putting him up. We don't want this guy in town. The question is why? How come they don't want them in town? Quick uh, cultural note, just to just share. The Samaritans and the Israelites, they did not like each other. They were not friends, okay? There was these cultural differences between the Israelites and the Samaritans. Uh, the Israelites, uh, they, were these, um, uh, they were the pure breeds. And so they followed uh, the laws of the Old Testament they maintained the original temple, the original place uh, where it was established. The Samaritans, on the other hand, uh, they were not committed. They were halfway committed Israelites. They were half-breeds, and they intermingled with the pagan folks. And so they set their temple somewhere else. And they set up their own theology. They set up their own rules and ways of life. And there is great animosity between these two groups of people. And so traditionally, Jesus, uh, the Jewish people would go and they would travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they would, if you could put the map up right there, the map will show you. They, they're traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem. And so they have to go through like Samaria. So they didn't want to go through Samaria. They would extend their journey several days, right? Perhaps even weeks. They would go through the wilderness where, you know, they would have to risk 
these wild animals. And just to avoid going through Samaria, that's, that's what these people would do. But Jesus says, no, let's make a straight line. Let's head straight down there. I need to get to Jerusalem. I'm going there. But they don't let them go through. That's the problem. And uh, can we just, for a moment, I just really want to appreciate this next verse. Like, I've been dying to preach this. This is, I don't think I've ever preached this before. This is such a great verse right here. This is the verse, verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to send fire from heaven and consume them? That is awesome. That's, that's fantastic, right? They're like, Jesus, they're not going to let you in? You know what? Forget that. Let's firebomb them. Can we do that? I mean, talk about commitment. Talk about passion that these guys have right here. Jesus has a nickname, these two disciples, the Sons of Thunder, and we can see why he does that, right? You're going to follow Jesus. No, you're not going to do that? Well, you know what? Bring down fire. Bring the fire bombs down right now. Yikes. They're talking truth, though, but like, yikes. It's like Jesus or fire. You pick one. Right, what are you going to do? What these guys are, are talking about is this. You see, these guys, they know their Old Testament. They are referring to a time in the Old Testament during a time where it's a, a prophet by the name of Elijah uh, called down on heaven. He brought down fire from heaven uh, to, to eliminate the enemy king and 50 of his men. And right now, they're, based, they're simply saying, hey, Jesus, could we do that same thing? Can we do that as well? You remember that verse? Back there with Elijah, yeah, could we do that same thing like right now? Like I've been dying to do that, Jesus, so bad. Could we do that right now? Let's firebomb all of them. Jesus responds to them in verse 55, and he says this. He turned and rebuked them. In other, word, in other words, Jesus is like, chill out, guys, right? Just simmer down, you know, just, just calm down. But you can appreciate James and John, though. You can appreciate them because no one's going to say that these guys lack faith. Right? No one's going to say that. No one's going to say that they do not have Jesus' back. And I can appreciate friends like that, right? We can all appreciate friends like that, that has your back no matter what. But Jesus simply is saying, this is not the season, guys, for its Dalmatian. This is not the season for judgment. This is the season for salvation. And I am on a straight line. You know, we're, we're not going to rain down fire. What we're going to do is we're going to Jerusalem. And then the next verse, it says uh, that they went to another village. Jesus was uh, making a straight line. He had one mission. He had one direction and commitment. And it, it, it wasn't going to get caught up in some cultural dispute here. Jesus is like, I am going to Jerusalem. So number one, he's headed to Jerusalem, right? He's setting his face toward Jerusalem. And number two, this idea of the straight line to Jerusalem, he's setting his face toward Jerusalem means that he is headed straight to the city. He knows that ultimately he is headed toward the cross. 
You see, Jesus knows that for 30, 32, 33 years, Jesus has made this annual journey. He knows in his heart of hearts that this is the very last time that he is going to make this annual pilgrimage with his friends. For 30 years, Jesus visited the temple. Every Passover, he has seen the shedding of blood. And Jesus knows every lamb that he has seen that was slaughtered, every pigeon that has been sacrificed, every blood spilt from an animal and various other livestock, all have been foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, all representative, pointing towards the blood. That all in a matter of weeks now, Jesus is going to go in faith and shed his blood. The ultimate, real atonement for sins. The Son of God nailed and crucified on the cross. And he says in verse 22, he says, this is the very first time here that he announces to the disciples, the very first time, he says this, the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he be raised. You see, there is no question in Jesus' mind. There is no question that he knows what's happening. He knows where I am headed. What is the journey that he is setting out to do? His face is toward Jerusalem. His face is toward the cross. This is why Jesus has come. Was he a great teacher? Yes, he was. Did he perform miracles? Yes, he did. But this is why he came, to go to the cross. He lived that he might die for you and for me. And church, I just really want to press this in this morning. Press it in. Before we get to the three individuals that we're going to talk about, before we get there, we need to see the heart of our God in his first prototypical, his first pursuit of us, that he is the initiating character that is in the story. He is the initiating character of the entire gospel narrative. And we need to see that Jesus is the one who made the straight line for us. He is the one who came and pursued us when we were not pursuing him, right? When we were pursuing after sin and and foolishness and folly and all the other ultimate destructions in our life, that he was the one that was chasing after us when we were out there chasing after a thousand different things, going a thousand different directions, right? Jesus came to the earth, face toward Jerusalem, and he made a straight line for the cross. And so before Jesus asked us to, to give us, to give up our lives, he, to lay down our priorities, to give up our preferences and our own agendas, he first sets his face to Jerusalem where he literally lays down his life. And you see, it starts with him. It starts with Jesus. It's it's about what Jesus has done, not us. About what he has done. It is the good news of this passage. 
You see, God is not up there in heaven barking down uh, stuff at us, barking out orders and saying, surrender to me, surrender your life to me, otherwise I am going to rain down fire upon you. He's, He's a God who comes down and he says, first, let me surrender my life for you. First, let me walk the straight line. Let me make the straight line. First, let me make this single-hearted mission toward the will of the Father through the obedience of the Son so that you could be made right with God. And that is the gospel. That's the gospel. I, uh, I rededicated my life, really gave my life to Jesus uh, when I was a teenager. And um, I read the stories of the good news, and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the moment of salvation for me was not when I committed to living a life to God. The moment of salvation for me was when I realized that God came and died, and he rose again for See, it's not about what I can do. It's about what he has done, right? And so I placed my faith in Jesus, and he saved me, and that is the gospel there, that Jesus saves, and that is the good news. He set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face to climbing uh, to the cross to reconcile you and I to God and to forgive our sins, that he was the one who single-mindedly, soul-focused, straight line mission, and it all started there with him. That's the good news, that Jesus makes the straight line. You see, the invitation for Jesus, for for you and and for me, is to walk that straight line that Jesus made for us, and we walk it by just wholehearted discipleship towards him, right? Not that we would ever earn our salvation, because we can't. Not that we would ever earn uh, uh, approval, But the only appropriate response to what we are hearing of the sacrifice that Jesus has made is that we would be disciples, wholeheartedly, single-minded, pursuing Jesus with everything that we have. First priority, Savior and Lord, Jesus. Let's get back to our verses here. Um, uh, Let's get to our verse. So understanding the good news of what Jesus has done, I want us to meet three characters, okay? We're going to meet three guys right now. And, uh, and we're going to meet these three guys who are invited to follow Jesus. But for them, there are secondary and tertiary priorities that they have, okay? And so I want to take a look at these guys, one person at a time. We're going to go through this quickly. Uh, let's look at dude number one. Verse, verse 57, it says this. As they were going along the road, Someone said to him, to them, I'll follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, and Jesus said to him, listen, foxes have holes, um, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus sees right uh, to the heart of this would-be disciple. He sees right through him. What calibrates this man's heart to true north? You know what it is? It's comfort. It's comfort. How do I get comfort? Well, how do we know that it's that? We know that because that is the way Jesus responds to his request. 
Jesus is very simply, very lovingly telling him, listen, if comfort is your priority of your life, then you know what? You're not going to be a good follower of me. You are better off just being, just, you're better off like living with foxes or birds because at least they have homes. Me, on the other hand, I, I am a wandering homeless rabbi here. Like, if you want comfort, then don't come after me. Don't come after me. If that is the priority of your life, then you know what? Things are not going to go well for you. Jesus isn't selling us comfort. He's giving us himself. Some people have tried to, to market uh, Christianity and try to market Jesus. And they say, you know what, they'll give, the, they'll give a good sales pitch. And if they give a good sales pitch, then we'll sign on to that. You know, if, was Jesus a very good marketer here in this passage? If you read this, it seems like Jesus is a bad evangelist. Can I say that up here? That, that's what it sees. That's what I see here. Like Jesus sees his heart and it says, well, you know what? I'm not going to sell you anything uh, you need to know. What you, you need to know right now, like what you are signing up for, all right? You need to know it because, listen to me, it ain't going to be easy. If you follow me, it ain't going to be easy. Many people market Christianity. You know what they say? They say, you know, if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, then he will commit his life to making sure that you are healthy, wealthy, successful, and you are comfortable. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, then everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be gravy. It's going to be awesome. Jesus wants to give you comfort and, and pleasure. Your kids are going to turn out fantastic. Right? Your portfolio is going to triple. Everything is going to be smooth sailing from now on. Let me just say this, and I need to say this very carefully, right? Um, I believe with every fiber in my being that following Jesus is the best life, period. Best life, period. But I also need to say it is not the easiest. It is not the easiest. Jesus never said it will be comfortable. Jesus never said it would be easy. Never said that, right? I mean, keep this in mind. Our Lord was a, was a homeless guy who was betrayed by one of his best friends, beaten, and he was murdered. Okay, that right there is the captain of our team. That is our boss. That is the guy that we are all following right there. I'll follow you anywhere you go, Jesus. And Jesus says, be careful. You need to know what you are signing up for. Very personally, um, I've been a Christian um, more than half of my life. And um, I know that it's not as much as some of you that are here today. But let me just say that in my tenure of following Jesus, I can say this, that it, it hasn't been easy. It has not been easy, but it has always been the best. I do not regret that decision one bit, not one bit. Jesus is in every way better, but it always has not led to a comfortable life. Right? It hasn't led to that. 
There's been seasons in my life when I was following Jesus, you know, in, 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 in relationships in my life. There's been divergence in relationships in my life, right, where, you know, I, I didn't have the same friends that I did because we were all going in different directions. And when we're all going in different directions with your friends, that's uncomfortable. I mean, it's hard to follow Jesus. Like, fi- financially, it's hard to follow Jesus. It's not always the, the easiest decision when, when, you, when you're generous and you, and you tithe and, and you're going uh, to think, well, you know what? We're going to be rich. Well, you know what? We're not rich, right? Like, it may, you may not get all the riches because of these things. God, it's not transactional as we think. You give this and you're going to receive that as we think it is. And it still hurts when we are generous, I've had to say uh, no to some stuff that I genuinely, genuinely wanted to pursue in my life. Because I wrestle with this, like, you know, I wrestle with this when I make decisions. Like, are you the Lord of my life? Am I making this decision? Is this my comfort? Is this my pursuit? Is this my desire? Or, is it, or am I in allegiance to you, Jesus, when I make these decisions? It is uncomfortable to say no to some things that you really want to do. So uncomfortable. Jesus is saying, behind door number one, you guys remember, uh, let's make a deal. Behind door number one over here, what you have is you have all the possessions, all the comforts, all the pleasures that is ever going to make you happy. Everything that you need to be secure and happy in your life behind door number one. And then here you have behind door number two, what you have is Jesus and nothing else. Door number two is better every time. Door number two is better every time. The heart of a Christian will always say this. I would rather be broke, homeless, uncomfortable, but with Jesus than have all the treasures of this world. I've had a chance to uh, travel around the world and go to many different developing nations. And I'll always remember my time in um, Ethiopia. When I was in Ethiopia, uh, we went from village to village. I mean, I was going from like hut to hut and people, seeing people living in these like uncomfortable conditions and, and seeing these Christians, followers of Jesus with this immense just joy and love. And I'm thinking like, this is so uncomfortable living like this. And my time there, I, like, I learned some things when I was there. And I learned this, is that like, here's the joy that comes with that. When you walk with Jesus, you will learn that Jesus is your comfort. Right? That, that you get more comfort being with Jesus than any earthly comfort. That when you are with Jesus, he is your comfort. I give up all of my treasures to be with Jesus because he has become my treasure. When you walk with Jesus, you realize Jesus, he is your security. He is your ever-present help in the time of trouble. He is your cleft rock. He is your hiding place. He is your shield above everything. He is the one that is behind you. He is in front of you. He is before you. He is your security. And I'll say that I will give up any fool's gold, any false sense of home security and financial planning and security that this world has to offer because my security is in Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ. 
And so let me ask us this morning, like this first man, is your true north in security? Is it in comfort? Or are you pursuing Jesus because you love Jesus? That is the question. Number two, let's look at the second man. Verse 59. He says this in verse 59. Uh, to another he said, follow me. But he said, uh, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yeah. All right, so can we be candid about this verse right here for a second? Now, I've been reading my Bible for a long time, and uh, Jesus doesn't sound too nice here. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, Jesus likes the whole world. He does, but he's not nice to the whole world. It seems like this guy is making a reasonable request here, right? It seems like it. Jesus, I want to follow you. I just, I just need to go to a funeral right now. I, you know, I, I need to do some things. What I need to do is I need to bury my dad. That's what I need to do. Jesus, I, I read this verse somewhere, like somewhere out there, something about, you know, honoring your mother and father. That's what I want to do right now. Right? I, I, it's not like I'm asking to go on a cruise somewhere. Like I'm not trying to go on, a, on the beach and then come back and follow you. Right? He said, let me bury my dad. No. <laughs> right? Let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch, Jesus. Like, you're, you're not a good salesman here, Jesus. Like, you're not kind to this guy here, right? Like, who's just trying to bury his dad? Jesus, what is going on? Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Let me say this. Um, as I was preparing for this message, spending time just list, uh, reading, scholar, uh, uh, reading from scholars and theologians and commentaries, I noticed that every one of them, as I was preparing for this message, every one of them asked this question. And the question is this. Where in this passage does it say that this man's father is dead? Right? Nowhere. It doesn't say that. If this guy's dad was dead, where would he be? He would be with his family. He would be preparing for the funeral, right? As a good Jewish man, he would be ceremonially unclean if he'd been with his father, if he would if he would he wouldn't be out in public, like he wouldn't be out there. Because if he was, he was unclean for a week. The only time this man was able to go out in public was going to be for the burial. Like he's not out here telling Jesus, I'm gonna you know, I wanna follow you. Well, maybe you're asking, well, you know what, maybe this the, the, the dad is sick and he's almost dead and like he's gonna die tomorrow or something. Well, if that's the case, if his dad was almost sick and he's going to die, well, where would he be, though? He would be with his dad. But what this man is asking for is not a one-day delay. Hey, Jesus, you keep heading south, and you know what? Let me kind of do this other thing over here, this funeral thing I got to do, and then I'll catch up to you later on. He, he's not. What he's saying is, Jesus, someday I'll follow you. Maybe next year, maybe in five years, maybe in 10 years, maybe in 15 years. Let, let me go and bury my dad first. I need, to, I, need to go and do, I need to do that first, right? But there's some things I need to take care of first right now to bury my dad. 
I'm going to bury my dad and I'm going to get my inheritance check. You see, that's how the world worked back then. You don't get financial security for the future until you bury your father. So I got this commitment that I need to take care of right now, you know, in the future, to take care of my future. See, Jesus, I still believe in you. I want to follow you. But my life stage right now is not conducive to following you at the present moment. He's saying, let me catch up to you down the line somewhere. But I want you to do this, Jesus. Just remember me. Remember me. And I'm going to catch up to you later. So the first priority for this guy, what calibrates the, the compass uh, 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 to the north for this guy is what? It's the, the future. His future. How do I create the best future for me? Jesus, you might be the best future, and I would like to follow you someday. But in the meantime, there's some things that I want to do, some things I want to accomplish and accommodate. But Jesus, you're number two. But in the meantime, let me just do this thing. Let me bury my dad. And number two, I'll fall in love with you down the line. And then I will follow you. The thing is, right, like when we read this, we do the same thing too, don't we? What we say is, Jesus, I'll follow you someday. Like, I'm, I'm just going to put you on the back burner right now until I finish high school. Because it's not that I don't believe you. It's not that I don't have faith in you. Like, it's not like I'm renouncing my faith. But, Jesus, you understand it's not really hip to following you in high school. So uh, just kind of hold off on that thing right there. Somewhere in the future that I need to do. Let me just wait maybe after I'm done with college. Maybe I'll do that. Because everyone knows it is hard following you in college. I mean, I just need like five years to, to get drunk and to act crazy and to make all these irresponsible decisions that I'm going to regret later on in my life. Let me get done with all of that, and then I'll follow you down the line. Once I go through my 30s, right, because once after I finish my 30s, then I'm going to be established. Then I'll follow you. Or once I have kids, Jesus, then I'll follow you. I'm going to do my thing for a little while. I'm going to get married, have kids, and put my kids in Sunday school, you know, maybe then. Oh, once my, when my kids get older, right, because we all know having kids at this age is just crazy. It's crazy with little kids. Can't do it. And so, Jesus, I'm going to get back to you, but remember me. I'll see you down the line. I mean, don't we do this? We do the same thing. What does Jesus say? He says, let the dead bury the dead. It's a play on words right now. It's a play on words. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And I think Jesus is also making a comment about all the pursuits, all the pursuits that are not rooted in the single pursuit of following Jesus. And he is saying that pursuit is a dead pursuit. If your number one priority is not following Jesus, whatever your number one priority is, is a dead pursuit. He's saying, let the dead people do dead people's stuff. But as for me, as for you, you are born again. That's you. You're born again. You are alive in Christ. Follow me. Pursue me. 
Preach the kingdom of God. That is where life is found. And let everything else fall in order behind that. Let the dead bury the dead. There is no life in your future except for Jesus because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. So whatever you're pursuing, over and above, Jesus will ultimately bring life no matter how good it is that you think it is right now. Number one, follow Jesus. That is where life is found. Can someone relate to this guy here? Right? Are you in this life stage right now? Are you waiting? Are you holding out? And you're saying, someday I'm going to be a Christian. Someday I am going to take my faith seriously. Someday I will follow Jesus with my heart after I accomplish this, after I get through school, after I, after I get married, after I, my kids are older. Someday, someday, someday down the line, Jesus, remember me someday. Let me just encourage you, um, as God might speak to you right now through these verses, would you let that someday, would you let it be this day? Would, it, would you let it become today and say, yeah, every other pursuit is death, but Jesus, you have come so that I will have life and life to the fullest. Jesus, I want to follow.